Happy Mother's Day, mothers in particular. Um, I, I did want to touch on uh, the devotion and then also the hymn just a little bit because we are actually talking about the end times kind of thing. Um, one, I, I, I think uh, this might not explain everything, but I, I think a lot of what the reason why we are disappointed in things is because of our expectations. Um, but, uh, you know, the expectations that we have uh, with the things of our Lord um, fall way short because he gives us all the more than we expect. And so, you know, the hymn, For All the Saints, really speaks of those, you know, in the section in our hymnal, it's under the church triumphant, which refers to those who have ceased their labors and their struggle with sin here on earth and are with the Lord, awaiting the resurrection, right? Uh, and actually, uh, I'd like us to, to look at a few... Uh, uh, passages upon which the uh, the hymn for all the saints that we just sang is based, and one of those references is Hebrews chapter 12. So please turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and of course Hebrews chapter 12 follows chapter 11, which is sometimes called the great faith chapter because that's where we hear about um, you know the saints who have gone before. And uh, the, the hope and the expectation that they had in, in the word of our Lord. So uh, I'll, I'll just kind of highlight a few of these from Hebrews chapter 11 um, as we move into chapter 12 uh, to uh, continue the thought of, of today's hymn. But notice uh, in verse 1, faith is the assurance. In the New King James Version, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Um, and in the ESV, the conviction, in the New King James, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. The people of old referring to the saints of the Old Testament. And then uh, the writer continues, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then we have a list of names. And then also... Uh, their, uh, their accounts, their circumstances in which they had faith and confidence in the Lord who would keep his promises and who would remain faithful. So then at the very end, verse 39, I know I'm kind of skipping quite a few, um, but uh, mention is made in verse 32 of Gideon, Barak, or Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, the prophets, etc., etc. In verse 39, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made complete or perfect. And then uh, moving to chapter 12, then, verses 1 and 3, uh, references given for all the saints. Uh, Don, could you read uh, those three verses, please, from Hebrews chapter 12? Verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility for sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your goals, in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Yeah. So, uh, you know, essentially we're looking back to look forward, in a way. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, looking, you know, what, what the, the writer of the Hebrews is uh, directing us to, of course, is this great cloud of witnesses as it was for them. Um, so also we have that uh, certainty of the promise being fulfilled um, at the Lord's time. And then, of course, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, on whom the Old Testament saints also hoped for, waited for, trusted in, in uh, him who would come to deliver them, to, to, who would uh, deliver sinners from their sins. Another verse uh, that's referenced is um, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and actually there's a, there's a number of references given uh, in for Revelation uh, concerning the hymn for all the saints. So, Revelation 2, verse 10. Uh, could someone read that when they find it? Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Yeah. The last part sounds really good, but the first part... Maybe not so much, uh, but we find we, we do find that reality, and that's another fact too. Because I, I think we, you know, in various ways fantasize about what might be, right? And that's another reason why we might be disappointed at times. Um, our expectations kind of get inflated. So, um, you know, if if, uh, if if a loved one is away for a while, um, like on a business trip or. Uh, when May and I were uh, um, not quite engaged, we were we were going out. I was I was in my first year at seminary, and she was three and a half hours away. You know, um, and when you know they, they say distance makes the heart grow fonder. Um, it's one thing though to kind of think about how things will be from, and this was expressed earlier, how things actually are, right? You know, um, you know you you find out that. Uh, not only are other people not so perfect, as you think they are, but you yourself are not so perfect, right? Um, you know, there's the, that dose of reality here. And, you know, we, we find this, so Jesus himself, when speaking with his disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, in the world you will have tribulation. You know, um, if you remember the, the Beatitudes, um, you know, blessed are, are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. You know, kind of thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled in the light. But how does he conclude that in Matthew's Gospel? Um, that section, blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you on account of me. Um, that's the reality. But where would they find their confidence? Where would they find their hope and their trust um, and their certainty of God's grace and favor, not in what they endured, but in his promises. You know, and uh, so, so here, um, in verse 10, of course, the angel is saying, do not fear what you're about to suffer. He's telling them about what is going to take place. And then also, uh, you know, the, the words of promise, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Um, that's the reference to, uh, for all the saints. 
So even in this life, as we have um, struggles, and as we have trials and challenges, uh, so the Lord also sustains us and will sustain us uh, by his good and gracious will and favor uh, that we endure. And uh, he gives us the certainty of, of the crown of life uh, to come. Um, but that's uh, also to say not neglecting his gifts, not neglecting what he himself gives by means of which he sustains us. You know, um, you know, maybe I mentioned before that when it comes to the Christian faith, um, we are not islands unto ourselves. And I, I think that's a growing phenomenon. You know, we've talked about this, especially with reference to COVID. I think it's a, um, you know, that this last year or so, I, I think some people, um, you know, are more complacent to be at home because there's a, any number of venues uh, by which one could be, I don't know, perhaps, Exposed. Well, exposed. I, I, I want to say fulfilled, but that's not the right term. You know, um, but actually, you know, just thinking of, of, you know, junk food, for example. One could kind of be full on junk food, but actually you can, James. <laughs> one, one can be filled with junk food and think they're full, but they're not getting any nutrition. They're not getting what their body needs. You know, and, and there, there, there is that comparison, I think, um, you know, to, uh, to what today is called spirituality, right? And, uh, and, and teaching and preaching from the TV and, and from other venues as well, they may seem very filling, um, but they do, uh, they do nothing but harm for the soul. I mean, if you, if you, you know, dark chocolate, they say, I don't know, where, where do they stand on this? Because I, I hear with that with wine, like some years it's good. Dark right? chocolate is supposed to have yeah. redeeming qualities in it. Yes. Right. But if that's all you lived on, it would not. You know, that, that's probably not yeah, a good thing, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, and, and we, we, we might, we might uh, you know, on the one side say that this is not good for you. But so often when it comes to, especially things religious, teaching and preaching, if it's not good for you, that means it's bad for you, right? Um, and that's why, uh, you know, especially uh, as Lutherans, according to the Word of God, then we, we seek to be faithful. We seek to hear the truth. You know, those who are um, the, the sheep of our Lord hear His voice. They don't hear another's voice. Um, but sometimes it, 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 it is, it, it can be a challenge um, because, you know, the, the the, uh, the teachers and preachers that I've heard, like on TV and, and various other places, um, well, even, even some Lutherans, they'll use the scripture, but it's not that they use the scripture, it's how they use the Bible. You know, um, and, and that's something to look out for, too. Um, but, uh, you know, here we have the promise, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to his word. You know, faithfulness to what God himself gives um, and uh, also the way that he gives it. Okay, not inventing, uh, you know, our own ways of worship. Um, I had uh, one of the discussions just uh, recently um, in, a, in a class that I teach was about, uh, about worship and um, reading the first chapter of Malachi. If you remember, um, 
you know, that, that prophetic book where, where God is really um, inciting the people uh, for their sacrifices. You know, they give lambs with blemish, you know, that are blind, that are lame, um, and, uh, and, and the like. And so often we look at the external sacrifice that's given. And uh, any number of students commented on that. But what was kind of interesting, <clears throat> you know, they, they would emphasize the external sacrifice. That's what God is talking about. Uh, but much more than that, it's not only the external sacrifice, but also the disposition in which the sacrifice is given. All right, so in other words, <clears throat> two examples. One is, think of uh, the difference in sacrifice between Cain and Abel. Remember that account where Cain, <clears throat> you know, Cain was the tiller of the field. He was a farmer. And he gave some of his crops to the Lord. Whereas Abel gave of the first, the firstborn, without blemish and so on and so forth. And God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And Cain was angry. It wasn't, you know, and, and some would immediately look at that and say, well, well, he gave of the fruit of the earth. Um, whereas, you know, Abel actually gave an animal. And some would say, well, that was the difference. Um, it wasn't the difference. You know, they, 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 they had the, the means to give what they were able. No pun intended there. Um, but Abel gave um, out of faith, Cain did not. And so when we, when we speak about faithfulness to God, when we speak about worship, it's not about us determining or us deciding how to worship God. It's how God himself would have us worship him. Okay, That is by faith according to his word. Another example um, of how that did not work out for the one who did it, uh, because he kind of stepped out on his own limb, um, figuratively speaking, was Saul. Um, there was a, a, a point in time, this, this is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I think. And God uh, told Saul through Samuel the prophet uh, to destroy the Amalekites for previous sins which they committed. And, and God told Saul through Samuel to destroy everything. But Saul, in, in the, pious, the, the, the piousness of his heart, thought to himself, as well as the people, um, well, instead of destroying everything, we're going to keep the good stuff. Because you, the good stuff you want to give to God. Uh, but that was not the case. And he, he, uh, he, uh, the, the kingdom was taken away from him uh, as a result of that. And I, I'd like you to read, right? I'd like to, to look at... Uh, um, what was said by Samuel to uh, to Saul as a result of that. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel, and I think it's chapter 15. So yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, th this is the place where um, let's see. Yeah, where we have Samuel saying, What then is the ble this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? That's sometimes a memorable verse. From the, that's, uh, that's verse 14. 
But he was destroy the, 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 the people of Amalekite, or the Amalekites. He was to destroy them, not keep any of them. But he kept the king alive, and he saved the good booty uh, to give his offering. And we see this uh, dialogue, um, and uh, you know, as is often the case uh, in the biblical, biblical accounts, which is, is very unlike what we do, right? I mean, we always accept responsibility for what we've done, right? Um, if your spouse says you do this, no, I didn't. Um, ask a child who has done something wrong if they did it. Very rarely, at least in my experience, very rarely will they come up and, and fess up immediately. Um, but, uh, you know, Samuel asked the question, verse 14, what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And then Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, that is, the other people. He was blaming them. Uh, but he actually had the responsibility. Um, it reminds me of when, uh, when uh, you know, Eve partook of the fruit and then gave to her, gave to Adam, and then they heard the sound of uh, the, the the sound of God in the garden, and they hid. And uh, and God says, "Where are you?" And you know, Adam couldn't hide, regardless of whether or not he was behind a tree or, you know, had uh, uh, makeshift clothes that they themselves made. They couldn't hide from God. And then he says, uh, you know, I heard your voice in the garden, your sound in the garden, and I hid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And instead of saying, yes, we have, he says what? She made me do it, woman. No. He said, the woman you gave me. So in, in a way, yes, you're right. She made me do it, but he was actually not blaming Eve. He was blaming God for having given the woman... Um, which he listened to, uh, you know, to, to partake of the fruit. Um, so Saul says, they have brought them, that is the people, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. That sounds like a pretty pious thing, doesn't it? To save the best for God. The best of the sheep and the oxen is sacrifice, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So in other words, yeah, we destroyed everything else, but this stuff. The question is, though, what did God say? Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said in verse 17, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Uh, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. In other words, destroy everything. Not keep one person alive. No animal, just everything. It was just a slaughter. Which, especially in our day, of course, you know, we kind of might step back and, you know, initially question that because, well, how can God be that way? But uh, we find something else going on. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. He was told to destroy everything, and it seems kind of odd to our way of thinking, as it did to Saul, mm -hmm. but it. It shows a, a holy purging mm -hmm. that the battle is not meant to be a profit-making thing because that was the way of the pagans mm -hmm. and other armies, mm -hmm. other nations or empires. Mm -hmm. You conquered so that you could profit from it. It was spoils that you got. Mm -hmm. But by destroying everything, it was not meant to be you know, a benefit to the army. It was right. meant to be a holy purge. 
And so, you know, the, the individual soldiers nor the king were to profit from it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was in direct contrast to anything and everything that was conventional. Right. Carrying out war. And, and yeah, and, and I, I think along the lines with that, if I might say that, you know, so often when we think of wars, like even today in battles, skirmishes and the like, um, you know, compared to uh, the Old Testament, it was actually God who was commanding his people to do this. So there was, you know, it wasn't just an earthly, physical, visible kind of thing going on. It was a spiritual. And, and what, what it entailed is trust in the Lord. So, I mean, it's amazing. We, we kind of get this glimpse every now and then in the Exodus, for example, with reference to the ten plagues on Egypt. It was not just about, okay, my God is greater than your God, you know, kind of thing. But it was about the people trusting in the Lord and the Lord being faithful to his promises and also the Lord demonstrating, even through the, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, his mercy to his people. You know, all of that is involved as well. Um, and you'll, you'll notice, too, <clears throat> in verse 18, where, uh, um, where Samuel says um, that God said, go devote, your, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So it's, it's not like... You know, so often we want to say, well, you know, they didn't deserve that. Um, maybe from our point of view, but what about God's perspective? Um, I, I think that's often missing in the equation. Um, you know, uh, um, as, as these things are, are um, looked at and, and uh, sought to be understood. And then verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. So here, you know, God says do this, and Saul is saying, yeah, I did that. But he's looking at it not from God's perspective, if we use that term, God's point of view, what God actually said, but what Saul thinks that God said, or interpreted what God said. And uh, I, I commented on that too with, with a student, because uh, we are talking about Jonah. You know, and um, in the textbook that we use, um, there's a couple places where, where it kind of gives this, uh, this idea that, you know, the account does not have to be true for it to be, um, to have meaning. And one of the students, Oddly enough, said it doesn't have to be true because it should, it exemplifies God's power. Now, um, walk with me on this because she said it doesn't have to be true, or it, it, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It exemplifies God's power, like over over the earth. And my question was, just logically speaking, if you follow that train of thought, something if it's if it's true, then it does exemplify God's power, but even if it doesn't, it does exemplify God's power. The, 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 the point is, though, if it's not true, how can it? Because then you can't be sure that God actually did it. Does that make sense? Just logically speaking. You know, and I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm being made more aware of this, um, I guess maybe as I get older, but just because someone says something doesn't make what they said accurate or true. And, you know, I'm, you start to see these inconsistencies, you know. Um, 
you know, um, so for example, and, and you know, just by, by way of illustration, you know, to, you know, from the Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, well, if I interpret delight myself in the Lord the way I want to, and then he will give you the desires of your heart, that's one thing. But if I go by what God says, delight yourself in the Lord, and all that that means with reference to faith, with reference to trust in his word, with reference to, um, you know, uh, looking to his promises alone, um, then my desires are going to be very different than what they used to be. Very, very akin, and we, we find this, we'll, we'll see this in today's gospel, or we'll hear it in today's gospel. Jesus says things like this, you know, whatever you ask for in my Father's name, he will give you. Notice that qualifier in my Father's name. You know, whatever you ask of me, I will give you kind of thing. Um, and that's not saying, well, ask for whatever you want, you know, bigger house, bigger car, you know, that steak dinner you know, whatever. Uh, he may give you those things, but he may not. What does he promise? If you're, you know, if you're asking in the Father's name, if you're asking in Jesus' name, then you're not asking selfishly. You know, so when we say, thy will be done, O Lord, remember in the, in the, in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, you know, asking, and I, I just heard this recently, asking, you know, those, those the first three petitions, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, put down everything that would speak against that. Even me. And my own desires and wills. Um, so, you know, Paul speaks about, uh, you know, in, in various ways, as just Jesus conforming yourself, conforming yourself to God and not God conforming to you. There's a huge difference there, isn't there? A huge difference. You know, who is God? Who am I? Right? Uh, who is the creator? Who is the creation? Huge difference. But here, uh, you know, getting back to 1 Samuel, Saul thought that he was worshiping God. And, uh, you know, we, we save the best for last. Uh, the best of the things devoted to destruction, in verse 21, he says, uh, you know, we took of this to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. The problem was not that Saul did that, uh, so much as he did not obey or follow, believe in what God himself had said. You know, it's not about how, uh, here it's not about how Saul wanted to worship God. He may have had, quote, good intentions, but actually how good were they if he was despising and contradicting what God himself had said? You know, um, so, you know, continuing with this, uh, in verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying or hearing the voice of the Lord? Behold, to hear, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He goes on to say, Rebellion is as the sin of divination, which of course was condemned. Right? So those who, who went to uh, mediums and spiritualists and, and so on, spiritists and and the like, um, they were condemned um, even even earlier in Deuteronomy. Rebellion is is as the sin of divination and presumption as and in, as, as is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. I mean, it didn't really matter what Saul himself thought; it was what God Himself had said. 
And uh, I, I see a great uh, discrepancy today in terms of, okay, here's what the text says, but so many say, well, I think it means this, even if what they think is totally contradictory. Um, in, uh, in this, uh, uh, this pa these past few days, I was at a pastor's conference in Rio Doso, um, and uh, I love the landscape there. Um, and uh, yeah, they actually had green, which was kind of nice, and, and the light. Um, but it was, it was good to be there. One of the things that uh, we talked about, one of the presenters, uh, Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, um, was speaking about uh, Luther and Isaiah, or Isaiah and Luther. You know, uh, Luther uh, taught, I think, for three years on Isaiah um, in, the, in the later 1530s, or in the, in the yeah, or actually in the, the late 1520s, 1530s. Um, and, you know, there's a place in Isaiah that speaks of justice. Um, and, you know, so often we hear in the church and outside of the church this emphasis on social justice, you know, on equality, equity, and so on and so forth. But what Isaiah was talking about, what God speaks of, what, what God, um, you know, uh, draws our attention to with reference to justice is far different from what uh, many in the church and in the world would say is justice today. You know, because if you look in the context, it, it has something to do entirely different than uh, worldly kind of justice and fairness as we determine it. It's what God himself defines as justice and how he determines it. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, this example of Saul, you know, I, I think is, is, is quite relevant because with, with reference to... Uh, uh, worship with reference to trust, with reference to confidence. It's not about what we think, uh, but it's about what God says. And I, I think that's, um, I do think, even though I said it's not about what we think, um, you know, it is, it is humbling. You know, and, and uh, in, in a humble way we do say and pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, because there we're, we're actually also, and we touched on this in the presentation too, um, but we're also praying against ourselves. You know, you may have heard of the three, um, some, some refer to them as the unholy, trini the, 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 the unholy trinity, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. That's actually what we're praying against in the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. So um, let's, uh, let's continue. Okay. Um, Go back to Revelation, and now we're going to be in chapter 14. And specifically, verse 13. Would someone read verse 13 of Revelation 14, please? And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed says the Spirit, that, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Yeah. I mean, they, these, are, these are words that are often read at a funeral, <coughs> and for good reason. Um, you know, we, you know th there is that, um, we, we spoke of this uh, before, but there, there is that, uh, you know, uh, I guess paradox in a way, you know, that, uh, you know, there, there is... There is truth, and, and this is true, that, uh, that death is an enemy. Paul speaks of that, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, um, you know death is our enemy, and it will be destroyed. Um, of course, 
Jesus overcame death by means of his own death, and he rose from the dead. Uh, but blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Um, death is our enemy, but who has conquered that enemy? Of course, Christ has, right? So, um, you know, even though on the one hand there's sorrow, there's also uh, one who dies in the Lord, there is reason for joy, right? And uh, a looking forward, you know, to, to the resurrection. And that'll take our attention then directly to, or should, uh, to 1 Thessalonians. They can get it going. There we go. Could someone get the lights, please, or at least the middle? And I think we're in, we're looking at verse 15, which I think. So I, I, I think, uh, and, and I did enlarge the study a little bit. You, you might have a copy in front of you or something. Um, but verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're going to draw our attention. Um, so, so last time we, we, uh, we talked about and, and we looked at what, uh, what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote about those who fell asleep or who have fallen asleep uh, how he says uh, he does not want uh, the readers to be ignorant about the hope uh, that that we have, uh, that the readers have uh, in Christ. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so, uh, and I, I, did we look at, we, we did look at 1 Corinthians 15, and I, I did, uh, I did change that. 1 Corinthians 15. 15, um, as Christ rose from the dead, so also will those who died having faith in Christ rise from the dead on the last day. Okay, and that's something that we look forward to um, and we have firm confidence of because Christ rose from the dead, so also shall we. And in 1 Corinthians 15, by way of review, um, there were those in uh, Corinth that were saying that the resurrection, that there was no resurrection, that the, the resurrection already passed. And, and then Paul gives this argument um, and argues uh, biblically, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he argues for the resurrection by way of saying if Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no resurrection. But if Christ did rise from the dead, then there certainly is a resurrection. Okay, of, of, uh, for that which is to come. Okay, so verse 15 um, in, in Paul's letter to uh, Thessalonians, the first, uh, his first letter, chapter 4. This we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, and we have that, uh, that phrase, um, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those that are falling asleep. So it's, it's actually, of course, talking about those who are um, who have died um, in distinction from those who are living. So there is going to be an order. So the Bible teaches that when Jesus Christ returns, and it's it's listed, it's noted here. It's also noted in other places too that when Christ comes again, then those who have died having faith in Christ will rise First. to meet with Him, to meet Him in the air, right? And then those who are living, you know, then will ascend. You know, we'll, we'll meet the Lord. Uh, but
first things first. You know, and that's really what he's talking about here. And I, I want to, um, you know, emphasize that because uh, probably won't get to it a whole lot today, but we might touch on it just a little bit. Uh, there is a lot of confusion, I think, um, and a lot of uh, false teaching about the end times and the coming of the Lord, right? Um, there, there was one, I, I think it, it, it's still available. I, I don't recommend to read it. Um, and I know there's there's several movies about it. Um, Kirk Cameron was one uh, was one um, actor in, in one of the movies. I think even Nicolas Cage was in another series um, of The Left Behind. Have you heard of that before? Mm -hmm. And I, I think, uh, you know, how many, does anyone know, maybe you shouldn't say, but <laughs> how many volumes are in in the series? I think there's, what, seven or eight, maybe? I think there's seven. Yeah, I, I mean, and it, it and it's you know Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, I, I think co-authored this this kind of fiction, um, but you know it, it, it's one of those things that it, it raises a fiction, but you kind of wonder, okay, how much are they trying to indicate about teaching? You know, how much are they attempting to instruct people about what they believe, not what the Bible teaches. Um, you know, so left behind, you know, that has the idea of, uh, you know, when Jesus says in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark, um, I think it's Mark 13, you know, he's talking about the end times um, as well as the destruction of Jerusalem. So, you know, those need to be distinguished, but he's talking about how one will be in the field or two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left, and so on and so forth. And that's often understood in the way that, uh, Okay, before Christ comes again, maybe you've heard it this way before, but I'll, I'll give you a, you know, a, a word that is often used uh, with reference to that belief, and that's premillennialism. Am I spelling that right? I don't know. But there's a pre and post. And we'll, we'll talk about this probably more uh, more next time. But essentially what it is is the, the millennium is, you know, refers to a thousand years. Okay. And the pre um, before, you know, um, speaks about or um, you know draws attention to the belief that Christ is coming before the thousand years. Post is the teaching that Christ is coming after the thousand years. This is what you will hear oftentimes in evangelical, Protestant, uh, non-Lutheran, non-Catholic circles. Um, you know, basically, uh, there's a belief that Christ is going to come back either before the thousand years or after the thousand years. And this idea, uh, Left Behind series, kind of advocates this, and many others do too, that, uh, um, that there will be something called a rapture. And uh, during the rapture, for example, um, you know, I, I know of a pastor who had, you know, before he became Lutheran, had a bumper sticker, you know, saying, you know, when the rapture happens, this uh, driver, this, this, uh, this car will be driverless, you know, kind of thing. The, the expectation of that. Um, but that's where you kind of get this idea when the rapture takes place, then those who believe currently will be taken to heaven, and then you'll have all these accidents, you know. Um, if someone's flying a plane, like a pilot, for example, they'll just vanish into thin air, you know, um, 
if you're driving a car, this is kind of from the Left Behind movie series, you know, and all that. Um, this is not what the Bible teaches, by the way. Um, the Left Behind, um, you know, Jesus does speak about, in, in Matthew 24 and the other places, about two being in the field, one being taken and then the other left, but the one being taken is the one who dies, not the one who, uh, you know, who, who lives, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it's, in other words, it's not a good thing to be taken. Whereas oftentimes, those who hold the position of the premillennial or the postmillennialist um, will say it's a good thing to be taken. Have you read any of the, the Left Behind books? Honestly, I, I haven't. I, I've seen um, parts of the movies, um, but I can say that they're not theologically sound. Yeah. When that series first started coming out, of course, there was the Great Lake Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey or whatever, yeah. all this fervor yeah. that was being stirred up. And then the Left Behind series just added to it. Yeah. And I tried to share, you know, in Bible class and so forth. Mm -hmm. The real danger is that it purports a second chance theology. Right. Yeah, that's the scary part right there. And then lo and behold, in the series of seven books, they came out with the title, Second Chance. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, they actually admitted that that was the essence and heart of their theology, a second mm -hmm. chance. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what, uh, you know, I, I think holistically, too, what, what, what generally happens, I, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've encountered this. I, I know I have, um, you know, sometimes, but... You know, for example, you know, with reference, you know, I, I probably mentioned this before, but some will say baptism doesn't save. <coughs> In other circles, some will say baptism doesn't save you, right? Um, but then, uh, you know, Peter says. Well, and that's what I was getting at, because they, they oftentimes, the scriptures, and, and we have to watch out for this too, the scriptures will be read kind of, um, you know, Kind of in a smorgasbord style or nitpicking, cherry picking. You know, you, you kind of cling to this um, and you use this passage. Well, those who say <laughs> baptism doesn't save, I want to ask, okay, so what do you do with where Peter says baptism now saves you? It actually says that. Ba he actually says that baptism now saves you. You know, or if someone says baptism does not carry with it the forgiveness of sins, what do you do with Peter who says, be baptized every one of you? For the forgiveness of sins. Right? Or if someone says the the, the, uh, the body and blood of Christ is not with the bread and the wine. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, you know, is not the bread that we break the body of Christ. Fellowship with the body of Christ. Is not the cup that we drink fellowship in the blood of Christ. Um, and then you look a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 11 and you find him speaking explicitly about the body and the blood with the bread and the wine. What do you do with that? And I, I would suggest that with this, this um, I, I guess if you want to call it rapture theology, um, this idea of a second chance, this idea um, that, that Christ is going to come again secretly or that uh, there's going to be a kingdom of heaven on earth for a time, uh, before the end time, um, you know, they're very selective in what they use as material for teaching that doctrine. It's not just reading Revelation. 
It's not just reading sections or a portion of Paul's letter or what Jesus says. It's, it's uh, looking at the whole counsel of God and seeing what is said there. Uh, because, uh, you know, um, you probably heard this, uh, this before, um, but, uh, you know, one of the principles of interpretation of Scripture is to say that Scripture does not contradict itself. If it did, then how could we know it's true? Right? Scripture does not contradict itself. So if Jesus says one thing and then Revelation seems to indicate something else, which is right, which is not. And often, uh, oftentimes what happens is it's not, the problem is not with the text, the problem is with our reading, with our understanding of the text. You know, um, so, uh, so that, that's an important thing to recognize. And also, um, you know, with reference to the second chance, I don't know if you want to say second chance theology, rapture theology, whatever, um, open to Hebrews chapter 9. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. Um, wait a second there. Yeah. Uh, could someone read verse 27, please? Chapter 9. And as it was appointed for men to die once, but after this, this uh, the judgment. It's just like a, not a, the sentence, yeah. it's an end. So I was all like, is that, yeah. is that all I'm saying? Yeah. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. <sighs> right? Okay. So, uh, go ahead and continue then. Verse yeah, I was like, after the judgment, and it was like, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. All right, so a couple things here. One, the 27, the, the half, half uh, sentence. Um, you know, it's appointed for man to die once, and then, then comes the judgment. Um, there's only one death. You know, there's not going to be a second chance. You know, that's the idea here. And then verse 28, of course, you know, this, this appearing a second time refers to um, not to Jesus coming three times, but to Jesus coming after having ascended into heaven, right? So, um, and by the way, we have a service on Thursday, the ascension of our Lord. And in, in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke really bears this out um, because he ascends into heaven and the disciples are looking up there and the angels say, why are you looking up into heaven? He's going to come the same way when he returns. Right? But he doesn't say he's going, to come, he's going to come back secretly and then come back visibly. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I, I think that the Seventh-day Adventists um, in earlier years, the Jehovah's Witnesses and a number of other groups, you know, they, they tried to, they, well, not they tried, they did state when Christ was supposed to come back um, visibly. Um, and I, I think it was in, as early as maybe 2000. Was it 2012 or you know somewhere around there? Um, I, I know there was a there, there was a one in someone. I, I think he may have been in Wisconsin. I remember seeing billboards for it. But the Lord is coming back, you know, on this date. Like maybe it was 2010 or something like that. Um, Jesus never did, you know, as as they claimed that he was going to. 
You know, I think wasn't it wasn't it in 1846 when Jesus was supposed to come back? Does anyone know? And there's always witnesses, and you know, they, they have all these dates that they give, um, but then they have to backtrack and make excuses because Christ doesn't. You know, remember, um, you know, uh, by way of example, remember, um, was it uh, the year 2000? They were supposed to, you know, the, the Y2K, right? And, and you had all these groups that were actually in Israel waiting for Jesus to come. He never did, right? Because they were, they, they were placing their confidence and their trust not in what God himself had said, but in their own understanding. As we approach 2030, it's going to happen again. Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe this time will be... Well, see, because, you know, it was the turn of the millennium where they thought it was going to be 2,000 years after Jesus' birth. And when it didn't happen, now they're going to say oh, it's going to be 2,000 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's why it's going to wrap, it's going to get all cranked back up for as we approach 2030. Mm -hmm. okay. So so beware, <laughs> beware. So it, it's kind of like when, uh, when Christmas comes around, when Easter comes around, oftentimes you'll hear more I don't know, the scholars come out of the woodwork, so to speak, and say, okay, this is what really happened. You know, um, but they're always playing the numbers game, and they always have to go back and re-evaluate, reassess, you know, well, we were off. It wasn't his birth date, it's his death and resurrection date. So. You know not the place or the time. Yeah, Jesus himself says that, too. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's not only uh, useless, you know, to try to figure out when the Lord is coming, you know, and, and some will say, like, uh, I, I, I'm aware that there's, um, like, numbers games, you know, that are given, or, you know, some will talk about, like, the Hebrew code, you know, and, and, and the like. Um, all of that is, is, is just uh, misdirecting people from the truth of God's word. What has he said? You know, and really, what is the concern that God's people are to have? Not about uh, the timing of his coming, but the surety of his coming and being prepared for his coming even today. You know, so what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 6? Um, you know, today is the day of salvation. You know, today, not tomorrow, not the next day, but uh, today is the day to be um, and to receive the gifts of our Lord to trust his promises. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to trust you beyond our feelings, beyond our experiences and circumstances and our situations which we find ourselves in. Move us to firm confidence in your word and your faithfulness to your promises. Grant us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we too endure as those who have gone before us, certain of your faithfulness to be fulfilled at your time. So continue to keep us in your word and edify us by your means of grace, that we live emboldened as your people, confessing your name to a dying world. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.